Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Your dad, what's going on? What's going on? How's your, how's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty chill. Uh, well, after I did a little, I guess, spring or summer cleaning at my mom's house. Uh, Lord, we cleaned out so many boxes from like high school and college. Mm. I found so much old stuff. Um, <laughs> it brought back memories, but yo, I was tired and <laughs> sore from like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like, have you ever like gone through all your high, old high school and uh, college? Not, not recently. No, not in a while. Um, which they're all pretty much sitting in my parents' basement. A lot of that stuff, uh, which I know I'll pick up whenever uh, you know I get my first house. Is the idea? Yeah. Or, uh, well, my mom was like, "You got to go." <laughs> ready to kick my stuff out? I was salt. I was really salty. That's <laughs> uh, funny. She's like, "No, nah, I need this space." Yeah. I know, but I can only imagine like, yeah, oh my God. I, just looking back at all that old stuff, probably like yearbooks, people signing, pictures, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of good memories. I won't lie. I came across something very weird. It was uh, letters that had been cut out of like a magazine and it was just kind of like, Daphne, I know where you are. You can't what? hide. What the <laughs> heck? Yeah. I don't know why I saved it. I don't what? know who it to. I mean, I just, it, it had to have been like Yo. a friend playing a joke on me. Like, why else would I save that? It was so weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to show you a picture of it. It was like yeah. really weird. Like, they can't uh, find you in the woods. or something. I'm like, y'all. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of friends you had, Dad, man? What kind of joke know. is that? I don't even know. But I was, I was like, I'm just disturbed but i'm also just like curious yeah and i clearly saved (laughs) and i clearly didn't report it to the police so yeah yeah, clearly i would have remembered that yeah no that's a wild finding right there yeah i I don't have any i'm sure i don't have anything like that no ransom notes in my (laughs) my old nostalgic packs that's funny yeah oh man that's funny yeah now this past week been been pretty busy for me last week was kind of crazy in my car because i had like a flat tire Mm -hmm. for a while and then um you know, then the tire, you know, you can take and get repaired, but my tire couldn't get repaired because apparently ran over some kind of industrial staple, industrial oh, wow. size staple. Wow. So it was like two holes that were too close to each other, so they couldn't repair it. So then I had to like wait and like order a tire the next day and go there. So I didn't really have a car because Kristen was out of town. And so it was kind of, it kind of sucked just like not being on the mobile. You know, I like sometimes stuff like that humbles you a little bit or lets you like remember, you know, how sometimes like you might. I don't know, like burn your tongue or the inside of your mouth. And, and then you're like, dang, like everything you eat hurts, but you never really like understand. Yeah. So you don't have it anymore. <laughs> your taste buds. That's how it was like not having a car for a couple of days. I'm like, oh man, this is, this is tough. But yeah, you know, people like that every day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, true. so that was tough. And then I was in DC this weekend, hanging out with a lot of uh, the Purdue folks, uh, which was fun, which I do have an old Lord story to, to, to share. Uh, when we get to that segment too later on, because it, it was pretty funny what happened while I was out there. Oh yeah, now I'm looking at yeah, I'm looking at Daphne's ransom note. <laughs> <laughs> she just sent it to me. It literally says, yeah. "Daph, what did it say?" Daphne, Daphne I, I can, can get you from the inside, you inside now. Hope you like the woods. Like what in the world? <laughs> like I don't know who took the time to do this. Oh why. my gosh! Yeah, this is wild. Yeah. This is wild. Okay. Yeah, this is funny. Uh, well, I guess it's a good way to get in segment into our old Lord news of the week. <laughs> I I you. Thank God I was not some old Lord news in the past. Yeah, <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Okay. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening old Lord news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say...
Okay, so for our first story, it's so strange. Um, so the police, they found her, but over the weekend, they were looking for a woman who allegedly posed as a social worker in order to kidnap a newborn baby. Oh my God, what in the world? Yes, so a social worker, she she showed up with a binder and a, and a phone, um, and a woman who had just given birth on May 31st, uh, the social worker, or alleged social worker came to the home, said that she had uh, an order to take the baby with her. Uh, the mom refused and was like, well, if you need to take my baby, then I'm gonna come with you. The lady was like, there's no room in the car um, for you, only the baby. And so because the mother just kind of absolutely refused, the the fake social worker just kind of backed down and left, but not before uh, the mother's sisters took a photo of the lady and took a photo of her white SUV and that's why she was apprehended but mm. that is so crazy that is wise though man people are here trying to steal kids this is this is getting crazy wasn't there um a protest in China oh, I can't remember um, I just seen it it was like Chinese, the Chinese, some people in China were protesting because I think the Chinese government is putting a new policy where I think the government can take people when they wanted to in some some capacity like that. Because um, I know, anyway, I know in China there's been issues like that where people just stealing firstborn sons. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is why people dress up, somebody dressed up as a social worker and trying to steal people's children. Like, Oh, yeah, y'all got to be out here careful, man, because mm-hmm. people want your kids. And the crazy thing is it seems like the woman may have found out about the newborn because the mom, I guess, put some type of announcement outside the home, like, oh, new baby or something like that. Uh, probably like balloons and stuff people do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, got to be careful out here, but also be smart. Don't give your baby to anybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You'd be like, oh, br- what well, you bring the police too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You just gonna be walking up here. Yeah. First of all, ain't nobody's walking up trying to take my kid. I don't care who you are. Um, yeah. That's just, that's just not happening. Whenever I yeah, I probably gonna even let the nurses take it to the uh to the nursery. I'm like, nah. If somebody gotta watch this kid the whole you can, time. You can check this baby out in here. Check it here, or I'm watching you take it. Like I'm walking with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, somebody keep eyes because yeah, we we've shared stories like that before and people were switching up babies. Was mm-hmm. that Africa? Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the lady. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this other story kind of brings up the potential like complications with all of these abortion bills that these southern states have been passing because uh, one thing that the courts and legislators did not consider was the fact that if they are outlawing abortion, even in the case of like rape and incest. Some of these states actually allow the rapists, you know, family member rapists, if we're talking about incest, mm-hmm. allow them to have parental rights. Oh, wow. And so they could continue victimizing uh the person that they 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 raped. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, good thing is that Alabama just recently passed a new law that would restrict a rapist's um ability to like gain custody and etc. But it seems like they only do it if the person was actually convicted. Mm. Which mm. You know, that poses issues because sometimes people don't report it. Sometimes people just aren't convicted, even if there is evidence. So it's like you could victimize someone, get them pregnant. They're not allowed to have an abortion. And then you could try to get custody or, you know, yeah. Whew. Yeah, nah, these are, uh, this is all messed up in a lot of ways. And yeah, but that's just another way to show how messed up this is, too. Um, All right. Well, yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Um, This other, I don't know if you saw this, but in the UK, two women were attacked by a group of men. Uh, They were a couple and they were attacked by the men because they would not kiss in front of them. Oh, yeah. I did see pictures of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very wild. Especially, you know, people are celebrating pride. Um, You know, we're trying to move toward like 
you know, just creating a better world for like everybody, regardless of their sexuality, their race and stuff like that. And, you know, being attacked because you don't want to perform your sexuality for other people. Mm, mm. That's crazy. I saw that story. It sounds like a group of teenagers. And I, and I remember reading the one of the victims story. They were like, you know, they were on there and they were being affectionate. The, the teenagers came on and they were being like really lewd and making, you know, just a lot of inappropriate things and gestures and sayings. And then, you know, they were kind of nervous, but one kind of like was like going along, trying to like lighten the mood and like crack jokes about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they just started getting more and more intense. And then they started like fighting uh, on there and they they pretty much jumped them and beat them up, which was, you know, Mm -hmm. sad. They still have this in 2019 and, you know, it's everywhere, not just in America as well. It's happening in the UK, so got to do better folks but um you know this does kind of get me to uh, my old lord situation that happened so like i said this past weekend i was in dc and in fact it was pride weekend in dc and uh you know me and my friends were driving somewhere and you know they were telling how it's pride weekend it's down the third and then you know they were like last week it was you know uh, two weeks ago it, you know it was black pride and I was like, oh, and my mom, I'm like, oh, dang. I, told, I was like, I should, I wish I was here for that. Mm-hmm. And they all like looked, looked at me like, like, what you mean if you was here for that? <laughs> and I'm thinking black pride in the sense of like, oh, you know, I'm proud to be black. God, that is hilarious. <laughs> I was like, oh, they had a black pride weekend. Like, oh man, I should have been here for that. That would have been dope. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they came that weekend. They all turned when I said it. It was looking at me like, what, what you mean you should have been here that weekend? It's something you trying to tell us to you. And I thought about it. I was like, oh. Oh, nah, okay, I get it. You meant Black Pride, like the LGBTQIA community. Like, That's hilarious. Oh, man, I never, I haven't laughed so hard. Actually, so when long. you said that, when you first said Black Pride, I, you know, I kind of just did the same thing like oh, okay that's cool but, but yeah okay but you know what? there are people who go to support support yeah. friends support you know their family members and stuff like that so. yeah yeah you yeah. know i'm i don't have anything against it it was just that like my interpretation of it was like you know you know i'm black and i'm proud you know black power and it was like nah not that one t oh okay, okay. not that not not that BSG. Uh, so, so you know I, I just share this with everyone just so you know when we when they say black pride, you know, there's differences. And I didn't know they had separate prides too. That was also new to me. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that they, they hold separate weeks or weekends like that in DC. I'm sure they do. And I think they said New York, a lot of other places I'm sure do that too. So that was new to show that, you know, they, they even within other communities like LGBTQIA community, they still, uh, black folks still want their own space and their own time um, because there are differences, I guess, in a lot of ways. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, other than that, you know, we're excited to get to our interview today. We, we are interviewing a, uh, a PhD student at Purdue in American Studies, and she studies a very unique uh, topic, research topic, which is actually uh, food trucks. And mm-hmm. she goes by, she actually has a podcast named the, the Food Truck Scholar, but more specifically, her research looks at black food trucks, um, which is a very, you know, we don't uh, we don't look at these, uh, especially when we talk about black food trucks, they are not observed and, and discussed a lot. And um, her research and she's very knowledgeable in this, as you'll see in a moment. Uh, but her research seems is very interesting and unique. And, and we're excited to talk to her about what she's doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, really excited about the topic, uh, the interview. You'll learn about connections between like, you know, food truck or the black food truck movement and kind of the ri- rising hip hop stars and just all of these different connections. And it's just a really good interview. Yeah, 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 yeah. She does a great job at like making what she's doing uh, very digestible for a lot of people and relating it to, to media and like you said, hip hop artists and stuff like that, which I didn't know a lot about. So, so uh, it was pretty compelling so i'm glad she's doing this work and we're definitely excited to see what she does in the future but you know without further ado let's get y'all to the interview and then we'll catch up with y'all afterwards mm-hmm. in recent years the united states has experienced a revolution in the food service industry with the rise of food trucks the mobile food movement has not only taken over cities from new york to la and everywhere in between but food trucks are increasingly becoming a staple in popular culture today we interview ariel d smith the Food Truck Scholar, about her research on growing food truck movement, especially among Black entrepreneurs. 
During the interview, we discussed the contributions of black food truck owners to the greater community, the rise of food truck culture in black popular media, and the link between hip hop and the black food truck movement. Without further ado, we welcome Ariel D. Smith. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to talk about your research and um, become a little hungry, maybe talking about food trucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think this is very timely. I feel like, you know, the summer season, once it starts to warm up, there's a lot of food trucks happening everywhere. Um, and so I'm pretty sure people will be going to different festivals or what have you and uh, just want to get more and be more informed on that. But also just your line of research is, is really compelling and interesting, too. So we'll we'll dive into that as we move forward. But before we get into, you know, the work you do and all the research and all that kind of stuff, uh, let's take a second for you to tell our listeners and there's a little bit about yourself and a little bit about who you are before we get into the, the nitty gritty. All right. Sounds great. Once again, thank you so much for having me. Uh, like they said, I'm Ariel Smith. I am from Birmingham, Alabama originally. So living in the Midwest is kind of rough. I can't find good sweet tea when I need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough out there in Indiana. <laughs> it's, it's rough. You know, I, I got a packet of sugar everywhere I go just for that reason. But uh, yeah, so I did my undergrad at UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham in business management. I love business. I was very interested in black businesses back then, but you know, everything that I was learning that didn't necessarily fit. So I was just trying to figure out where can I take all of my interests and all of my passions and what I've learned and kind of put it all together. So then I went into a master's degree in education at Vanderbilt and learned a lot there. That's where I learned about critical race theory and like all of these experiences I was going through as a black woman, I've got the academic language to express it in that space. But I still didn't figure out what exactly I wanted to do because I wanted to be an educator. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be in academia in some form or fashion, but I didn't know how to express that. And so a friend recommended to me American Studies. Had no idea what that was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Applied for it. I was like, you know, why not? They said I can do anything. So, hey, maybe I can figure out what I want to do when I get there. And it was in that program, I was taking a class, it was like for a midterm, and they told us that we had to write a midterm paper. And I said, ooh, I definitely haven't thought of my idea yet. And he said, you know, don't worry about your research. How about you just write about a question that is fascinating you at the moment? And for me, it was, why are all these black food trucks popping up when I leave Birmingham? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how it took off from there. But yeah, so I love food. I love music. Um, I love black entrepreneurs. Anything to deal with that, anything to support my community, I'm always down for. Mm -hmm. Do you have a history in food at all? A little bit. You know, okay. if easy bake ovens count. <laughs> <laughs> if easy bake ovens count, then yeah. Um, I think the reason why I'm so passionate about, you know, the food industry and the black communities because that's kind of how I relate to play, space, and family. Mm. You know, I talk a lot about how my great aunt, that's who raised me, and she passed away last year due to breast cancer. And that's the first person in my life that I've, in, in my family that I've had like a major death. Mm. I, I haven't had that before. I had like a, a baby brother to pass, but he was nine days old. So this is the first time in my life I went through the loss of a family member that I was close to. Mm -hmm. And to help me process that, and we had like a, it was an interesting relationship. We had some good moments and we had some really bad moments. But in processing her passing, I've been reflecting on the good moments and all the good moments that I had, it was about food in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had an easy bake oven, but I also had the Chuck E. Cheese pizza oven. I had mm -hmm. uh, this little machine that taught you how to make uh, gummy bears, gummy worms, donuts, fudge, pretzels. We had all of that. And she worked two jobs. She was a teacher, early childhood education, first person in our family to ever get a college degree. And she would work those two jobs, get off. And on either when she was off or on Saturdays, we would cook together or we would always go to the fair and we would always go to the little concession stand and get, you know, funnel cakes and stuff like that. And so I've always been fascinated with food. Um, the memories I've created with her have largely been a part of that. And so for me, doing this research and meeting other people is kind of a way for me to feel close to her, even though she's not here. Mm -hmm. And it's also a way for me to just meet people because I've met some of the most amazing people 
when somebody just said, hey, can I sit down at the table with you during lunch? And we just have a great conversation. And when I'm doing this work for me, I feel like I just have multiple dinner tables in different you know, states and places. I just meet different people. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, so, you know, one, I know you became interested in this because you were seeing the food trucks kind of pop up in Birmingham, Alabama. But, you know, is your research uh, like countrywide? Like, is it all over the place? Are you uh, limiting it to the like the South and the Midwest at all? Oh, it's it's going wider than what I thought. Like originally, yeah, it was in Birmingham, Alabama. And then I thought the South until I started getting invitations to different places. Um, I was fascinated by what was happening in the South, but I was also really fascinated by what was happening in California. So you have groups like Trap Kitchen, A Blood and a Crypt that came together and started giving back their communities. Or you got uh, you know people in Texas that found different ways to give back. So I was like, you know, this is not just a phenomenon that's happening in Birmingham. This is not just something that's happening in the South. This is something that's really happening across the country because right now food trucks are huge across the country and there is something that is tying all of these Black-owned food trucks together. So by now, we're literally turned a year old uh, last week. I've been in California. I've been in Texas. I've been in Illinois. I've been in New York. I've been in North Carolina. Uh, I'm scheduled to go back to California next month. Uh, I just came back from London uh, a few days ago. So it is something that I thought was just gonna be a one city thing. And now I'm realizing that my work is really gonna end up being a case study and it's going to involve different cities. I'm thinking about having at least one food truck from each region because by now I'm able to, I have enough information to do just that. Oh, that's what's up. That's what's up. So let, let's dive a little further into into this. Um, you know, I know you are probably one of the only, maybe the only one right now, at least that I know of, um, that is studying uh, black food trucks. Um, and so I guess in that, what do you think are some major differences you're, you're finding early on between black food trucks and other food trucks in general, whether they're whites or just, or just how, you know, that entire culture operates? Well, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of the research that we have is based upon the Latinx community with taco trucks and lanchetas. Okay. So I think based upon that, just going off of the research, one of the issues is space, how we operate spatially. Uh, while there are a lot of uh, Mexican American and Latinx owned food trucks that do move, typically it is uh, the norm to see them located in one spot. And that deals with a lot of different things. Sometimes they are targeted by ICE. Sometimes it's just a matter of they build a relationship with that one place and their customer base is typically Latinx and Mexican-American. So they know if I go here, this is where it's going to be. Like I said, it is a pro and con that way, because in some cases they are targeted by ICE in that space and they just be there out of comfort because they are afraid sometimes that if they move to another space, they could be targeted. Mm-hmm. For um, African-American food trucks, um, you have some that typically stand in one spot because they've built a connection, like Granny's Fish and Grits. They're normally right outside of Birmingham Daiquiri's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday night. But then there's other places that they move around quite a bit because they're trying to build a larger clientele. So that's typically one. You have some that are Black-owned that will probably move around a whole lot, and then there's a few that kind of stay in one space, whereas with our Latinx and Mexican-American-owned food truck, they tend to stay in one spot for the most part. With um, with what I'm seeing with probably like some of our white-owned food trucks, it's not that they don't have a story, because some of them do, of course, I'm meeting some of them who do, but a lot of times they enter into it because they're fascinated by the industry. For some black people, that is the case, but other times it's simply because this is a way out. Mm. And that's and I'm not trying to, you know, paint it all as one, you know, broad stroke or whatever. But what I am encountering by now, I'm on episode, I think, 12 or 13 right now. And there's people I've talked to offline outside the podcast. And what I'm noticing is for many of them, this started as a way to pay rent because they was behind on rent and they knew how to cook. So they would sell plates and Mm. then it took off into getting a food truck. That's what they could afford. For some people, they may have been mass incarcerated for 14, 15 years. And before they got locked away, what they would do is they would take the money they was doing with drugs or whatever, and they would feed their community that way. And so they were trying to find a way to do that 
legally when they got out. Or it was they was homeless for six months to a year. And because they went through that, they're now trying to find ways to feed people and support them. And right now, the food truck is the way that they're able to do it. I have a question Um, for like, so you're looking at different food trucks across different regions. How does the cuisine vary? Like um, you're, you know, studying black food trucks. Is it like really different, like regionally or are you kind of seeing some of the same things across like black? You know, it can vary. So in the South, I found a lot of, you know, traditional Southern cuisine. It might have its own spin to it, but it's what you would consider Southern cuisine. So you got grits, but it's like elevated to a level where you get all these different type of toppings on it. Or barbecue, you can find, uh, yeah, so somewhere along those lines of, and then Creole food. And then when you get to like places like Los Angeles and Compton and Watts, you start seeing a whole lot of uh, Mexican-American food being produced by African-Americans. Like the black taco is what sometimes they, they call it. And you can understand that because of the dynamics of Los Angeles, especially after the L.A. riots of 1992, where you're seeing like a, a influx of more Mexican-American individuals moving into these areas and then you're seeing a culture exchange taking place. Um in D.C., I'm noticing a lot of uh, dessert trucks, interestingly enough. There are other food trucks, of course, but I'm noticing that a lot of black people are invested in dessert trucks in the D.C. and Baltimore area. When it comes to the Midwest, still some soul food, but and, and part of that is because certain areas such as Peoria, Illinois, they have a great population of people who are from Mississippi. Peoria in particular, a lot of their population comes from St. Louis and Mississippi. So you get a, I guess, a fusion of those two foods coming together. And there's very much a strong Southern presence in that. And let's see, what region do I leave out? Southwest. So there you start to see a blend of Louisiana-style food and like vast Southern and Mexican-American food. So for example, I'm thinking of a food truck called Taco Sweets where the ice cream cone is what you want to call it, the waffle itself. It is shaped like a taco and they put the ice cream inside, kind of like a taco. Mm, mm. And it's insane, like it's insane about how the colors and the decoration, it's just beautiful. And then you have um, one of the food trucks, Raging Cajun, Louisiana Kitchen. They're based from Shreveport, Louisiana. However, they spend a lot of time in Texas and they're actually planning to move to Texas. And there's a lot of food trucks in Texas that are Creole based. So it's very interesting to see how they kind of overlap in different mm. places. That's interesting. You know, you you, you kind of mentioned the, the story um, a lot of uh, black food trucks have and that led me to think of, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with these shows like The Shy and The Last OG. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I begin to notice, like, even with the shy for our listeners who don't know, um, you know, Jason Mitchell plays his character who's clearly not going to be on the show anymore. Uh, but his storyline is that he's trying to, like, make it and he winds up and he, and he has a, a, a background in culinary arts and he began his own food truck. And then the same thing with the last OG, right? Um, uh, uh, Tracy Morgan's character plays somebody who's an ex-felon coming out, trying to make it, was cooking a lot behind bars and now is using the food truck to kind of, you know, establish his own and mm-hmm. be able to be independent. So, I mean, with you seeing shows like that, what do you think is the cause for, I guess, more um, exploration and, and insights into what's going on with, with black food trucks and in making into the media? I think there's a lot going on with that. So, first of all, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that Barbershop 3 was, I think, one of the first examples I saw of mm. the food truck being a part of black cultural media exploration. Because Anthony Anderson's character... He gets this food truck called Gangster Grubs, and mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. hiring people in the community that have criminal records or whatnot, yeah. and giving them a job. And this is the first time in the whole barbershop, you know, sequence sequence that you see the barbershop, this brick and mortar, is sharing space and attention with a mobile black business or any other black business for that matter. And it just so happens to be a food truck. For mm-hmm. me, I would credit a lot of that to be Trap Kitchen. So Barbershop comes out with, I think, like 2016, 2015, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And you have the rise of Trap Kitchen in 2013. By 2016, 2015, 
they have become a huge phenomenon. You got, um, they was on Martha and, Martha and Snoop's TV show. You got oh, okay. them releasing a book that's available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. They're traveling with E40 and all these different people. So they have blown up and people have now known them. They are what you would call Instagram celebrity chefs. Mm. They have over a hundred and something thousand followers just on Instagram alone. So they have become this phenomenon. And in many cases, I think they kind of set the stage for what we're seeing. I also would say it's part of the Obama effect, if you will. If you got the Oprah effect, there's like the Obama effect. And Obama is the first president and probably even the only president we know of that actually tweeted what his favorite food truck was. Oh. Yeah, it was a uh, it was an empanada truck in D.C. And that was shared over a million times. Oh, yeah, I think I remember that. Mm-hmm. So when you have all of these different things happening to me, so you have a president that is wildly popular in, in you know certain spaces that says, hey, I like this. Which if originally food trucks were seen as roach coaches. They were seen as places that were nasty that you didn't want to eat at. Mm-hmm. But you have the person who occupies the highest position in the land saying, I like food trucks. And here's my favorite one, actually. Yeah. So you have all of these different things that's happening to co-sign on that. Also, you have uh, Kogi Brothers Barbecue in 2008. That's what we would normally say as the start of the modern food truck movement. So it was a Korean-owned, still is, they still operate, Korean-owned food truck that takes the taco and puts a Korean barbecue spin on it. Mm. And so everybody was so in love with this whole notion of fusion food that that took off. So in a lot of ways, that's kind of how mainstream, i.e. white dominant culture, whatever, kind of took it and said, oh yeah, we like this. This is something that we like. This is great. So you have all of these like different pieces that's kind of moving together and has created this space where they say, okay, we like food trucks. It went from being no one eat there. We don't want it to let's have food truck Fridays and let's have food truck parks and food truck festivals. And this is kind of in some ways kind of how cities use it to brand themselves as quote-unquote creative cities, especially those that are gentrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is originally what my uh, question was, was that, you know, are these Black-owned food trucks, are they starting up because gentrification is happening in Birmingham, they can't afford, you know, the rising rent, and because restaurants are volatile anyway, are they going into the food truck as a lower barrier to entry? So I had term, I had coined the term native nomad entrepreneurship. Mm. Like, is it that black people who are native or local residents of Birmingham having to move around their city and not have ownership in the land while other people are coming in, getting that land because of the rising rent? Mm. And when you're in a city that's gentrifying, it's going to gentrify based upon the technology scene and the food scene. Nine times out of ten. And so you want to participate in the food scene because that's that's going to be money. At the same time, it doesn't erase the fact that the food industry is still volatile, especially when you're doing a brick and mortar restaurant. So the safest way to do that is through a food truck. So that's really how I initially got into it. But I started realizing that it's much more than gentrification. Interestingly enough, though, the only time that you see questions or articles written about food trucks and gentrification it was about when white food trucks are present and there's nothing about what happens when black food trucks are there and that's really how i started it mm-hmm. that's interesting you also talked about fusion so I, I this is like a spinoff to another thing um so speaking of fusion i've you know kind of heard that you relate black food truck owners to rising hip-hop artists am mm-hmm. i correct uh can you just talk about that a little bit what's the connection you know the comparison for our listeners absolutely so there's so many different ways um first of all i think about the origin story so when you think about hip-hop you know we're thinking about the bronx 1970s do we talking about dj cool we're talking about africa bambada we're talking about all these different people right and so with bambada in particular he was a member of the Black Space, one of the most notorious uh, gangs in South Bronx. He l- transitioned from that and became the founder of the Universal Zulu Nation after being arrested, after seeing the murder of one of his best friends by the police, after you know being exposed to different forms of Black consciousness, particularly the Black Panthers. And from that, when he founded Universal Zulu Nation, he would do parties with music and DJing. That's how he fell in love with music. He would take these parties, they would charge, you know, a cover at the door, they would take that money and they would fund it into the community and do community self-help projects. Mm. 
So hip hop at its genesis was about resistance. It was about uplift. It was about challenging the power. It was about recording what was happening since no one else was listening. But it was also about how do we take what we have and fuel a community because our government has abandoned us. So since they've abandoned us, how do we take what we got, create something and fuel it into our own communities? I see the same thing happening now with food truck owners. I mentioned Trap Kitchen earlier. They went through similar things. They, one of them has experienced the murder of one of their friends by police. And so the other one went to La Cordon Bleu, graduated, came back. One of the first thing they said is, hey, you know how to cook. You got a huge following because we understand how the marketing game works because of where we've been. So they came together in the, one of their grandmother's backyards, made an empanada pie, took a picture of it, sent it to their followers, and they started running their business like a trap. So you would have to only get the food if you was in the know. Mm. And then it took off from there. You got another situation with the food Minati. So that's all flavor, no grease. That's Taco Mill. That's Blue Kitchen. That's Shy's New Cali Catering. It's a lot of different ones in Cali. is all male, pretty much group for the most part. And what they do, some, a lot of them had similar stories where they used to either sell drugs, sell pills, or they was gang members or whatnot, and they turned their lives around through food. So how Bambada turned his life around through music, you're seeing people turn their lives around through food in particular. What makes it so dope, though, is they, call, they have this coalition called the Fuminati. They also have DJs as a part of that Fuminati. So you can go to an event, and you got the food over here. You got the DJs going up over here. And it is a whole move. Not only that, you also have like very clear and obvious connections between food and hip hop when you're seeing, for example, YG's new album that came out a few weeks ago. To promote mm -hmm. the Go Local album, they actually took Taco Mail, had a food truck, and had the food truck's design wrapped as the album cover. Mm. And he was cooking tacos and he was giving them out for free as promo. Oh, wow. If I'm not mistaken, he's actually, I think, signed or has some type of relationship to the uh, to the the record deal or a record label that YG is with. So he has been, even before this album, he has been catering YG's music videos well before now. When you're looking at even the designs of food trucks, when I look at how colorful and how creative they are, I'm thinking about album covers. You can have a person that you don't even know who they are, but if you stop back in the day when we before streaming, when you went and you actually bought CDs and records, you were like, "Huh, I don't know who this person is, but that album cover is dope." So let me check them out and see what they're looking at. Mm. It's kind of like with a food truck. You may like, "Huh, I don't know what they're selling, but it's kind of it's kind of dope." Let me walk up and see what what they're talking about. Yeah. Or the ingredients that they put together. Like there, I've had some things I never thought. I would eat put together, but <laughs> but when you look at it, you're like, that's actually pretty good. And when I see that, I'm thinking about the wordplay of Tunchi. You know, like it's just creative how everything mm -hmm. comes together, and then how they work together. I've seen some food trucks that was called the BB Queen featuring Fridays, like it's a whole album track. I've seen food trucks that was called Dream Cuisine, and on one side they actually had a picture of Biggie Smalls and having his lyrics saying it was all just a dream. So there definitely is this give and take, not just the origin story of how they came about and how they're serving their communities, but also just literally and figuratively how they're set up and designed. Mm. You know, that, that has me thinking, because even when you mentioned uh, Barbershop and how Barbershop had a connection with that food truck and now how we're seeing music artists having connections with food trucks and, um, you know, how uh, these kind of black owned businesses, enterprises are collaborating with one another. Um, do you see that amongst just food, black food truck owners in general, like working with other black food truck owners or is there competition amongst them? You know, um, I'm, I'm just thinking, uh, you know, because, you know, a lot of times they like to paint the picture of, of the black community having that crabs in a barrel mentality or whatever, right? No one supporting each other, but I don't think that's really the case. So do you see any cases of where they are working with one another to help each other succeed? I have definitely seen examples of that, mm -hmm. you know, and I think in any situation, it's going to be a little bit of both. And why? Because you have people and there's no such thing as a perfect person. So you're oh, going to yeah, have sure. some of those type of strife. So I have had situations where I've talked to food truck owners and they say, you know, this person actually, before they had their food truck, 
you know, I was working with them, blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, they stole my whole menu, joined this other thing. And, you know, so I've had, you know, situations where mm-hmm. I've experienced that or at least heard of that. But at the same time, I've experienced many, many more cases of people working together. For example, Crystal McCants, she's in Mobile, Alabama. She owns Trey Pays Rolling Cafe. She got social media less than a year ago, I believe. And when she got social media, it was just for her food truck. Her food truck launched like last week or so. She has what she calls a business sister, uh, uh, who is the owner of Let Them Eat Cake. She's a pastry chef. They work together. Anytime there's an event, one of them calls up the other and say, hey, can you come be at this event? So before her food truck even dropped, here she has all these different connections and opportunities because you got two black women that's working together. The Food Minata is an example of how you got all these black men that's coming together and saying, hey, let's pull our resources. Let's do, you know, this event at La Mer Park or let's get together over here and let's do something together. Now they've even, not only do they have the Food Minata where they do their trucks together, but they just opened a restaurant called The Court Cafe that is owned by all of them together. Putting together, you know, menu items and, you know, this, that, and the third. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about um, Donnell Creech. You know, he's over Grill Media and they've come together and they've done a food truck festival just for black-owned food trucks because a lot of times black people get shut out of food trucks, uh, food truck festivals. So there is definitely a sense of camaraderie, especially when you say, hey, you know, your food truck does desserts. My food truck does this. How dope would it be if we come together? Like there's two in Birmingham that, that's been doing that recently. One of them, Pastry Chef K&J's Elegant, Elegant Pastries, and you have Encore Road Food Truck. Well, they now park together in the same spot. That spot was traditionally Encore Road. Now you got K&J's together, and they'll post about it and say, hey, you know, we were both at this spot. They'll take pictures of their food and each other's food and say, hey, this is what she got, this is what he got, this is where we're going to be at. So I'm definitely seeing a lot of collaboration, and I always talk about it no matter whether it's on my podcast or somewhere else because I want people to become used to the idea of black people coming together. Actually, the the concept of black people not coming together really should be more foreign than anything because when you look at our history, more often than not, we really have came together. It just so happened that the times that we have been pitted against each other or we talk about each other, it gets more attention than when we actually do come together. Mm, agreed. Um, I was wondering, how do you envision your research being used? Like, where where does this go? I know you've turned it into a podcast, um, but yeah, where do you see it going? You know, that's a question that I always think through. I think next to when are you going to be done? There's a question that PhD students <laughs> kind of cringe. True, true. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think this is my start. Because my biggest thing is I felt that if the only time people ever heard my work was when I defended, that for me personally, that was not going to be enough. Like, that's not a diss to anybody else. But just for me, I truly believe that if it's not accessible, it's neither radical nor revolutionary. So for me, part of that is the podcast. For me, part of that is trying to get a show together. I'm also trying to get, you know a book together. I'm trying to organize different magazines and events. So I'm really trying to make this beyond a podcast. Uh, I could see myself being a professor. Now, the way that I want to be a professor, I don't know how that will fly. (laughs) (laughs) Because I want to be the type of professor, like, you know, ideally in like a business setting or something, or maybe even new media studies, something somewhere along there where the projects are hands-on. Where I get a chance to take students and say, hey, let's produce a TV show. What's the topic that we want to do this season, i.e. this semester? Okay, that's the topic we want to have. Okay, how about who's wanting to do the research part of it? Because you're always going to have some people that want to be in the camera. You got some people that mm-hmm. don't want to be in the camera. You got some people that want to do the research. You got some people want to you know, do all the prepping. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's take the class and let's create a production team and we are filming and we're doing all these different type of things but just know at some point we're all going to rotate so everybody can have some type of experience doing each thing you might have something that you feel at home with but i'm gonna push you to have experience with each thing and when you get done your grade is really this portfolio that you have created as opposed to writing papers 
Mm-hmm. So, like, in my mind, those are the type of things that I would like to do as a professor is giving them the opportunity to actually learn by doing because that's when I learn best. Mm-hmm. Don't know how that would necessarily work with all these universities, but that's <laughs> what I would like to do. In case that doesn't work, <laughs> my goal is to really be at a place where I can have this umbrella of services, mainly through consulting. Like, I've been learning all of this stuff about the food truck industry. How can I put that in a way where it could actually serve people when they're asking me, hey, how can I start a food truck? I know you do this research. How can I present it that way? Um, How can I present conferences? Because I'm realizing that a lot of these spaces, we're not there. You know, I was was at a conference, and it was five people of color total. Two were food truck owners. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how do I create a space where we can all be there and we can get the information we need to have? So I still feel like I'm going to be an educator, whether or not that education is going to happen in academia or outside of academia or both. I'm still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you know, I remember being in a similar situation, just the thought process. Um, and I think uh, I would I want to say, you know, generally, I feel like a lot of students of color, especially those pursuing PhD, have that kind of confliction of where they want their work not to just be left in the like the four room, the four walls of the defense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want it to be, it, it means something to you. You feel like it can help people. You feel like, especially people within our community can benefit from this information and it can, you know, collaborate, build relationships, or just help communities out in general. Um, and so I think there's that drive, but it's also trying to figure out how to fit that drive into these already academic spaces that are really not conducive uh, to this kind of learning or kind of uh, um, active learning that we would like to do, right? Or service learning in a way. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's tricky coming out because you're trying to figure out, you know, you just, one, some people are like, I'm just trying to get a job. So you're trying to take, go to a place that whatever accepts you. But then at the at the end of the day, you want to be able to be free to to teach and contribute the way you'd like to. Um, so I'm definitely with you on. And I think, you know, I commend you on starting the podcast because that's definitely a very good uh, first step, you know, of just making the information publicly available and accessible to, to all parties involved and it can grow from there. So I think you're definitely on the right track. And, you know, I, I think everybody's track, different um, tracks and path is unique, you know? Um, and I think uh, as far as students of color, I think it's good to, for us to be, uh, take that courage and just create our own path um, because it's not there yet. doesn't mean it's not possible. Uh, and most of the time, the things we want to do is not there yet because we're not predominantly in these spaces. So nobody has those ideas yet. So I think you're on to something. I think, uh, you know, I see a lot of success in your future. So, so just keep doing what you're doing for sure. I appreciate that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a rough thing to do because I've had, you know, I've had people on both sides of things where they support them like, Oh yeah, that's great. Go ahead. And then I've also, I've also had people that say, you know, why don't you wait until you, get a postdoc why don't you wait until you know you got a full-time job and do this podcast and Mm -hmm. for me the reaction was y'all don't understand how much this this podcast actually keeps me in school because there's been many times I've thought about you know probably could be doing something else right now they could probably give me more money right now Mm -hmm. I could (laughs) you know and I wouldn't have to write less papers and less theorizing and you know just the stress of sometimes being a PhD student, you'd be like, okay, what could I do today that can get me out of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've thought mm-hmm. about that. I'm like, you know, maybe it's time to go to culinary school. You know, that's, <laughs> that takes 15 months. We can totally do this, right? You know, I went through all those thoughts, but what keeps me in my program, and, you know, my program is a great program. I got really supportive people there, but it doesn't take away the fact that sometimes I just want to be done. What keeps me there is literally... When I meet these food truck owners and they get so excited that I'm there and they and they meet other people and they say, hey, you know, she's a PhD student at blah, 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 blah. And she does this and she got this and she got that. At that point, I realized, well, you know, at this point, it's really not about me anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm going to be the one to get the letters, God willing. But yeah. it's not about me as much as it is about what can this degree really do for the people I say that I'm supposed to be serving. Mm-hmm. And if I left now, what would that mean? That was I really committed to the people I said I was committed to? Mm. So this is what keeps me there. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of time. Like today is actually my production day. So this is where I'm going to actually record a podcast and drop it today and go through all of that. But like, mm-hmm. and it can be stressful because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm not even getting a grade for this. Can I make, 
can I make this my dissertation in some form of fashion? <laughs> but this is what keeps me here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So before we get off, I just, I have to know, what are some of your favorite food trucks? And also, this is a question I love to ask people. If you were to open your own food truck, what would you sell? (laughs) (laughs) Favorite food truck right now is Trey Pay's Rolling Cafe. Favorite one right now. Because the woman can literally cook everything. Everything. what What are some of the dishes? Oh God! So she got these. Um, it's n- it's not like wontons, but it got like chicken and spinach and cheese, and it's kind of wrapped up in like the egg roll, like little wrap. That's amazing. I love that. Then she has this um, zucchini noodle dish. We got zucchini noodles. It got shrimp. It got lemon. It got tomato. It got all of that going on. Then she has this pineapple bowl that has rice, steak, chicken, shrimp. Uh, she got fried chicken, she got grilled chicken, she got loaded baked potatoes with chicken bacon ranch, she got, she got everything, literally everything. Uh, you just can't go wrong (laughs) with it. Um, so I love her, I just love her story, it's a very colorful food truck, and you can see her sons are painted on the truck, it's very cute, so I, I love that story. Um, if I had a food truck, what would I have? Hmm. So let's see. I know something on the on the truck would have to have like a pineapple drink because I love pineapples okay. that much. I'm torn between like having like a grilled cheese truck because I like emojis grilled cheese and how they do their type of thing. So it'll either be like a grilled cheese food truck or some type of dessert truck. Mm. Maybe you can have pineapple grilled cheese. <laughs> See, I don't like pineapple when it's cooked, though. <laughs> I don't like pineapple when it's cooked, though. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's been a great discussion. Is there anything that, you know, we didn't discuss uh, that might be on your mind that you would like to share or something we didn't touch on that you think is important? I'm realizing now that there are starting to be more black food trucks in the UK. So I will be going back to the UK pretty soon. Mm. Yeah. Especially like in Bristol. Like mm. you can really see the connections between hip hop and food in Bristol. Like there's graffiti art everywhere and there's always somewhere to eat. And they're also like graffitied on the doors of certain certain restaurants. So I'm definitely gonna go back there at some point and branch out my research from just being here in the United States to an international presence for sure. Nice. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, that's great. So how can people find you, um, learn more about your research, your podcast, you, etc.? You can find everything that you need to know about the Food Truck Scholar on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. They're all the Food Truck Scholar. Uh, you can follow my personal page on Instagram. It is I am Ariel, A-R-I-E-L underscore Smith. And you can find me on Facebook as Ariel D. Smith. But all of the Food Truck Scholar stuff is branded as the Food Truck Scholar on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher as the Food Truck Scholar podcast. And if you're not app friendly, you can also go to thefoodtruckscholar.com slash podcast and listen to it from there. Nice. And we'll definitely be sure to uh, to link all that stuff when we post this episode up on the description so everybody can make it easy for everybody to get to all your, your social media and websites and all that stuff. I appreciate it. All right. Well, Ariel, thank you for joining us. It was a great conversation. Definitely learned about uh, a lot about the Black Food Truck uh, Enterprise and all that you do. And we're definitely interested to see how you how you take off from here. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating this space. Oh, no, thank you. Def, what do you think about Ariel D. Smith joining us, food truck scholar, talking about her work, which is pretty interesting, if I say so myself. Yeah, I've, it's like comp- so dope how she's turned it into a podcast, how she's building community like across not only the United States, but also in another country. Um, I just I love her ability to turn her scholarship into something that is like so fulfilling for her. 
And, you know, it's like, it's like a lesson for myself. But also, I love food trucks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, offline listeners, you didn't hear this. But when she mentioned, like, you know, food trucks in Peoria, you know, I got the connect. I got the hookup now. (laughs) You know, about to be hitting up some food trucks when I get back to Peoria tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's always good. And I mean, I was just very impressed. No, you're not that I, I wasn't expecting it, but I mean, she definitely knows her food trucks man mm-hmm. i mean like every question we asked i mean she was just on it um she she just had tons of information all the different regions even thinking about international perspective as well and, mm-hmm. and what's going on in places like the uk i mean that, that's that's that was very impressive to say the least um, mm-hmm. as far as just just her knowledge bound of, of a very you know niche industry which we don't you know study or know a lot about so i'm glad she's she's diving deep into it Mm -hmm. And it also like putting into like a broader perspective, because for those not in academia, they may ask like you study food trucks, but then like putting it in a larger, you know, movement about, you know, potentially like gentrification and, you know, black businesses and black entrepreneurship and what it means to, you know, build these particular spaces. And so like just seeing how that's you know, the scholarship can be like theorized beyond just like studying food trucks. But I know I would get fat if I was studying food trucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I got a taste. You know, Yo, my research got, would be more than just There's no way. Yeah, there's no way I'm just interviewing you. Uh, in my in my dissertation, there'll be an entire chapter as far as how I, you know, rated each food truck. And yeah. Food. <laughs> Have graphs and stuff. Have graphs. <laughs> Uh, like that would have to be included um and and also my personal journey of all the weight i've gained uh, yes yes you know what kind of how she was talking about uh how the different regions they you know have a fusion of like different cuisines like that would be another reason why i have to taste to say like you know historically this region has experienced this and so we see a fusion of not only food but of course i would make it sound real (laughs) dope and you know, I was thinking too. Like, I know she's still um, trying to figure out her way, uh, and and I, I really just felt like just I feel like consulting because of her background, business, then also education, and now getting this PhD in this in this in this area. I feel like, and and then just her personal um, ambition to want to just be a part of the community and and make a difference. I just feel like you're out there consulting. People will look to her, you know, because she's been an expert in this of black food trucks and and be able to say, okay, let's help me strategize of. of what you need to do what are the trends how do people make it um i can see that in her future as well you can always do consulting on the side or full-time as well but um i think that'll be something that may fulfill her her passions too mm-hmm. um to consider and you know there's always good money in consulting yeah. you know you set it up right too for sure uh and especially depending on what you're getting in academic spaces yeah <laughs> starting out uh huh. I actually have a friend that's, you know, trying to figure out like setting her rates now. And like, it's like more than like $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my God, I feel so bad. But I'm just like, you're an expert. You gotta make them. <laughs> listen, listen, do not feel bad about making that buddy. You know what I'm saying? Charge them folk. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, people pay. I mean, you said, you're, especially with consulting, you know, you said your price and people will pay it. Um, mm hmm. But yeah, I can get it. Sometimes we feel bad because, you know, like, dang, am I charging too much? No, that's what you're worth, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think in academia, it's just sometimes it gets uncomfortable for us because we're not used to that, you know, I guess uh, capitalizing off our our knowledge in a way, in that Mm -hmm. fashion. But Mm -hmm. now you better go ahead and get make that money. Uh, but yeah, now nah, like I said, I really appreciate uh, what she's doing, and and again, I feel like many scholars of color feel the same way Ariel does. Is you want your work to reach outside of academia, and I think she's starting had getting an early jump on it because people like myself really didn't do it until you know after I finished, like with this podcast and stuff like that. And she's doing it while she's still in graduate school, so uh, that means that you, you know she's setting herself up to to really do great things and and really impact a lot of lives way earlier on before mm-hmm. she even reaches that PhD level, which she will reach. Right. Uh, I believe in, I believe in you, Ariel. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We believe in a, a documentary created by you about this food. I, I see it. it oh, the so many things. Yeah, so many things. So. so many things she can do. And I'll watch it and then we'll plug it over here in BHD, you know, for you. 
<laughs> um, but again, thank you, Ariel, for joining us. Uh, definitely, everybody, check out the links on this post uh, for her, um, for her website, for her podcast, for her social media, all that stuff, um, and support. And and definitely, if she puts up recommendations, I highly recommend you listen to her because she seems very knowledgeable in this area. And I know I will, especially if I go to certain places. I'm like, yo, Ariel, uh, you know any good food trucks in this spot? Right. Because <laughs> I know she she gonna have some good recommendations. Um, other than that, if you all haven't yet follow us on social media at bhd podcast we're on twitter instagram and facebook follow our website or check out our website www.blackandhollydangerous.com to keep up with all our latest content email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com for any ideas any guests any topics you want us to cover cover if you want to be a guest on this podcast do it also if you want to contribute to our blog um do that as well that we know it's a community blog we haven't posted in a while so we're going to get back to that this summer so anything any ideas just come in shoot it our way and and uh, we'll help you frame it, whatever it is you need, uh, and get that get that posted. We're trying to, you know, have a space for everyone to contribute. Um, other than that, uh, review and rate us on iTunes if you haven't did that yet. That helps us a lot. So please, 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 if you like this podcast, just go on iTunes for a short period and, and drop a review. Um, we love those things. And um, other than that, share us with your friends, share us with your family, share us with your enemies, and as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.